This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in once again to the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me is the most recent guest on the Auto What podcast, where he talked all about all the prices of all the food all over Ottawa, Brian Com. Did I really talk about all the prices of all the food? I talked about the, the slow rise from a dollar to a dollar twenty-five to a dollar fifty of Yours and my favorite food in Ottawa, the Aladdin Convenience Cheese Pie or Meat yeah. Pie. You also talked about how much is a bowl of ramen at your favorite ramen it's place. It's important how- information. Yeah, I don't, in I don't New want- York, it's $20 in Ottawa. So, and then you talked about <laughs> dollar hot dogs and how much you enjoy. <laughs> okay. I guess value, just as in fantasy hockey, is very important to me in food as well. Clearly. Well, so here we go. Let's talk about some value that can be had. Some teams were looking for value with this trade deadline, and we're going to talk about some of the big trades that happened. We'll see who got a good deal, who maybe got ripped off, and obviously, more importantly, who are the people affected in fantasy, and how can we take advantage of it moving into all of our fantasy playoffs. Before we get to all of that, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the hardest working website in all of fantasy hockey. While the trade deadline was going, and after every single trade, you had an article almost instantly breaking down each trade, which team got who, who benefits, both in terms of the people traded, and also the players remaining on the teams, who benefits, who got hurt. It was just really awesome and such a great tool to get a quick insight into who they think you need to be rushing to grab or rushing to drop. And, you know, they keep going articles all the time. Then you got your starting goalies, your line combinations. It's just such a fantastic site. I'm so glad it exists. I'm so glad it's presenting our podcast, DauberHockey.com. Absolutely. I don't know what's left to say after that. I guess, uh, you know, I've been checking out the average time on ice for a lot of players in DauberHockey.com. And one thing they have that a lot of other sites don't. In fact, I don't know if other sites have it because Dabber Hockey already has it at Frozen Pool. It's average power play time on ice very handy everything you need to know over at dauberhockey.com yeah i like just looking at a player's game log and seeing their percentage of power play time in each game it's a really good quick way to get a sense of if they've been on the top power play or not okay great site let's get into the trades first fancy hockey headline of the week i guess we've got to go to actually you know what brian before we get to the trades let's let's recap some of the things we talked about last week there were a couple of trades that happened like an hour before the podcast we didn't have too much time to analyze them and obviously we didn't have any games to go on so let's actually first talk about this like bishop for budai trade then hansel to the wild just a quick update so quick oh pun okay 
Jonathan Quick, he had a bad game in a 5-4 loss to Minnesota on Monday. And then Bishop played the next day against Calgary. And he had a good game in a 2-1 loss. And then Quick had a 3-2 win versus Toronto. And then Bishop put up a weak game in a 4-3 loss to Vancouver yesterday. So overall, it's kind of looking like a 50-50 split. And it's kind of looking like both of them have an equal claim at this point to the starting goalie gig. So kind of what we called going into the podcast, it looks like it's going to be a 50-50 thing. And I don't see any reason after one week of action to think that that's not the case. Yeah. It sure does seem to be the case. And the danger for Quick is that if it is a 50-50 split, or at least if it's leaning that way, he could very well be outplayed by Bishop. And we're seeing the Kings give a Jonathan Quick backup more ice time than we've ever seen them get before. Remember, Martin Jones was a Jonathan Quick backup, but we never saw him when Jonathan Quick was healthy. And the worst news for Quick is that, you know, if you look at the save charts available over at Ian Fleming's site, who we interviewed uh, maybe a month, or two ago now about goalies. The two are nearly identical in their performances over the last while. So Bishop is a strong contender for Quick in that, well, they're both sort of average NHL goalies. And if I'm the Kings, I actually might prefer if Bishop outplays Quick, then I can sign him to a deal worth half as much each year as Jonathan Quick's $6 million for the next six years. And then I expose Quick to the expansion draft in the hopes that Vegas wants to take him off my hands. So there are a lot of really interesting factors at play here determining which goalie is going to get time going forward because I can be pretty certain that come the summer, Ben Bishop is going to sign a much more team-friendly contract than Jonathan Quick has right now. And if the Kings take a liking to Bishop, maybe they try and make that happen longer term. That would be pretty wild, right? Like, LA has had Quick for so long. That would be a big change for the team. But I guess they haven't won in a while. Didn't they win? When's the last time LA won a cup? Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. Uh, like, like five years ago? Sometime in the last five years, at least. I can't. Who knows? Who knows these things? I don't know who wins Stanley Cups. I know who wins fantasy hockey championships. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, so let's go to Tampa Bay then. The fallout there. Vasilevsky has played three out of four games this week, and he won all three games that he played. They gave Budai the tough game versus Pittsburgh, and of course he lost five to two. That's kind of mean, right? You're fir- welcome to Tampa. Go play against Crosby. Anyway, we said the trade was probably good for Budai because he'd probably get more starts playing with Vasilevsky in Tampa rather than playing as Jonathan Quick's backup. But maybe not. Maybe Tampa's just going to ride Vasilevsky, especially now that he has three wins in a row. He seems to be doing okay. He's their goalie of the future. Kind of thinking at this point, Budai, eh, you could probably drop him. I'm kind of over him at this point. Yeah, I agree. Like we said, the deal was better for Budai, like to move to Tampa rather than him staying in LA. But Budai still remains Peter Budai. And by saying that, I mean, like he's not someone with huge upside as an NHL goalie. He was out of the league before the start of the season. And if Tampa is going to play goalies according to their performances, my money is on Vasilevsky outplaying Budai, thus getting at least two out of every three starts, if not more. And of course, uh, people in the chat room making us look dumb. It was only 2014, like two years ago, that LA won the Stanley Cup. So there you go. But you can't be loyal, right? Isn't that the rule that we've kind of seen that if you're loyal to a player and sign them to a big contract or ride them after they help you win a cup, you're going to hurt yourself long term? I remember all those guys on Chicago signing long contracts. Brian Bickle comes to mind. Yeah, and you look at Quick's contract, 10 years, $6 million per year. And that was right around the time when everyone was realizing you can get pretty far with a replacement level goalie paying them not such a huge percentage of the space you have under the cap. So not a wise move to invest that much money in a goalie most of the time, especially an average one like Jonathan Quick. 
Yeah, so thanks to Michael and Patty for correcting us quickly. <laughs> still great to have a live show with a chat room, right? Helps us from sounding too dumb. We still sound dumb, but at least we correct ourselves so people don't leave listening with a bad taste in their mouth. Okay, the other trade we talked about was Martin Hansel going to Minnesota. He's played three games, not including today, so we can look into how things are going today. He had eight shots on goal total in those three games. He had that one two-assist game. Of course, the one day that I sat him was the game he had two assists. I had him like a couple roster, which, by the way, Brian... It looks like I'm eliminated, so let's just not talk about that anymore. I know you're eliminated also, so let's just not even talk about that league anymore for the rest of the fantasy season. It's hard to kind of judge Hansel's performance so far just because these lines that he's been playing on have been out of whack with Pominville and Parisi out. We thought that maybe he'd play with those guys. I think they're back today. Minnesota's just starting. I wonder if I'll be able to check on Jobber Hockey if they've already updated the current game line combos, and they have. So Hansel with Coyle and Nino Niederreiter. So actually kind of a big line shakeup. This might be something we need to keep following Parisi with Stahl and Chris Stewart and then Pominville with oh interesting then Koivu with Granlund and Jason Zucker huh okay so I mean I like Hansel he's in a good situation even on the third line like we talked about last week it's still a decent place in Minnesota and he's gonna play with good players so nothing much changes I could see him getting a half point per game going forward with a decent number of shots and then hits if your league counts that Hopefully a little more than a half point per game, too. He won't be getting the power play deployment that he was getting in Arizona. But the Minnesota top nine is a pretty nice place to be. We've seen so many guys produce there this year. I don't see why Martin Hensel can't be one of them. And by the way, Elon, you really just, I want to concede defeat in the cupful instead of saying, let's not, let's, let's not talk about it. It was, a, it was a really rough, I think I won one category over the last two matchups. It's been a really brutal finish. My team started strong and then really flamed out. So uh, congratulations, Jeff, on getting his revenge. I knocked him out of the playoffs last year. And he, Elon, I don't know if I'm going on too long about this. Maybe I am. But he was the one who ended up getting the winning the lottery to be promoted into the top tier because you relinquished your spot. So uh, I'm really regretting the way you picked names out of the hat. Yeah, well, you think if it was someone else, he wouldn't have beaten you. All the tier two people are obviously very strong as well, which is the reason why I'm eliminated. Yeah, I am going to use this excuse. I'm going to blame it on two things. First, I'm going to blame it. No, (laughs) no, I have so many excuses. Do you hear how (laughs) graciously I conceded and said, hey, Jeff, great job, man. That's fine. You do you. Okay. (laughs) You wouldn't have lost if not for... If not for Gibson having diarrhea, like four months ago, which meant Bernier stayed in the net and let in eight goals, costing me two goalie categories. And I would have had the buy if it wasn't for that. If he would have let in seven goals instead of eight goals. And then also I'm going to blame it on these damn bye weeks where Minnesota and Winnipeg, two teams that had a lot of players on, didn't play at all last week. One game. Bah! We all have Next we year. all have our crosses to bear, Elon. This wasn't just you feeling, although I do yeah. hear you, that diarrhea game really was unfortunate for you. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm lucky I'm not in the relegation class. We have some, so the way we're doing like a couple to keep in Carlson Ultimate Patron Fan Tracks League. And sorry, a quick plug for that. I think it's the best fan track league out there. I've never been in a more competitive league. And the no. way we're doing it is in the top tiers, or all the tiers actually, if you don't make the playoffs, top six make the playoffs, bottom eight are in the relegation playoffs where they're fighting to stay in their tier. The bottom two teams of each tier are going to be relegated. Last place is going to go down two tiers. Second last place is going to go down one tier. So there's a lot of people fighting for their lives a lot harder. At least I and you can feel comfortable that we're staying in our tiers one and two. Let's get back to actual fantasy hockey news. 
and a new trade. So we got to talk about the biggest one, probably Kevin Shattenkirk to the Capitals for picks and Zach Sanford. We'll obviously just talk about Shattenkirk and the impact with him. So it's been three games so far for Shattenkirk, so far for the Capitals. He didn't do anything in his first two games in terms of points. He had a power play assist yesterday in overtime, though, versus Philly, which is obviously an easier point to get when you're like four on three. But you know what, Shattenkirk, I'm not too worried. He's been on the top power play. Yesterday, he was there with Ovi and Oshie and Johansson and Backstrom. So with Oshie back, is a very stacked top power play. I mean, it's a stacked top power play either way, but obviously a great situation for Shattenkirk. Not that he was in a bad situation in St. Louis, playing with Tarasenko and Stasny and Steen and who you know whoever's there. But still, I think that he'll be just fine. I'm not sure if I would say like you have to jump on. I mean, he's obviously owned in all leagues. I don't think his value goes up. But I don't think his value goes down. I think he just stays on a really good power play. Maybe goes up a little bit, but he's gotten a lot of power play points all the time. So I think he'll just keep doing that. Obviously, the big impact is to the other players on Washington. John Carlson and Matt Niskanen both had been jockeying for position, taking turns, getting onto the top power play. Now they're obviously both off the top power play. I guess neither of them earned the job enough for the Capitals not to trade for Shattenkirk. And so they've been on power play too with Kuznetsov, Justin Williams, and Jacob Verana. So not a horrible power play, but we'll see how much ice time they can really get. I think it's a big hit for Carlson and Niskanen, both still worth owning, I think, in most leagues. But I don't know. I thought of Carlson as a guy I would draft in our league where we're against each other, Brian. He'd be a keeper for me for years to come. Maybe not the case, though. Also, Shattenkirk, he's an unrestricted free agent this summer. So who knows? Maybe Carlson could be back on the top power play next year. So here's the interesting thing about John Carlson since Shattenkirk's arrival. It's only been a few games, but Carlson has actually been more active on the whole in his participation in the offense and Shattenkirk in his few games as a capital, he's doing a little more in his per 60 shot rates at even strength, but less on the power play. So again, we don't have a ton to go by with either of them. If I'm choosing one to keep for next year, it's a tough one. I think I'll take Shattenkirk because even if Carlson stays the top guy in Washington next year, like let's say Shattenkirk moves on and Carlson stays on that top unit. Shattenkirk still has elite power play scoring rates for the last several years, including some insane performances along the way, especially in 2014-15, where he scored 25 power play points in 56 games. He was injured, so he didn't get to play the whole season. He leads all defensemen by a mile in points per 60 with the man advantage over the last three years. And that leads stance if you extend it further back as well. Wherever he ends up, he should be the power play QB1. And to be honest, going back to Carlson, again, if he does end up being the Washington power play QB one. My faith has been shaken by his performance so far this year. I'm not feeling as great about him after what I saw from him this season pre-Shattenkirk than I would even if Shattenkirk was again out of the picture by the start of next season. And then Elon, you also mentioned Matt Niskanen, whose value, yeah, probably does take a bit of a hit. Now he's third fiddle instead of second slash first fiddle. He has 31 assists already this year, which is already the second highest assist total of his career. And he's just five back of his career high. And keep in mind that it took him 81 games to get to that number compared to the 60 odd games that he's played so far this season. He actually looks somewhat okay under the hood this year too. His career high IPP is certainly helping him get these higher point totals, but not to a crazy extent. Same thing for his sort of high on a shooting percentage. I still think of him as a 40, 45 point guy, but maybe now after the season, he starts finally getting respect as someone who has been the 30th best power play point scoring defenseman since 2013. He also scores at a top 15 points per 60 rate with the man advantage sandwiched between guys like Mark Giordano, Mike Green and Roman Yosi on that leaderboard. And with six more power play points, it'll be the third time in four years that Niskanen gets 15 or more power play points. So the secret is out. 
if he gets the time on the power play, he can do the job. Of course, all this is to say he might be getting less time on the power play, but keep this in mind for your leagues going forward, especially if Shattenkirk does not remain in Washington. Okay, and then over on St. Louis, people were very surprised because it was Alex Petrangelo who jumped on the top power play and not Colton Pareko. I think a lot of people were very excited about Shattenkirk getting traded and Colton Pareko getting his, you know, rightful spot, quote unquote, there. And it was a shocker. Like on our Facebook group, so many people were so excited as Pareko owners seeing Shattenkirk traded and then just totally shattered when Petrangelo got the spot. And you know what? Petrangelo has been great so far. And by saying that, I should say he had a power play assist on the only goal versus Edmonton. Like overall, St. Louis actually isn't scoring. So they have actually scored today. It's one nothing. The game's barely started. A power play goal, Paul Stasny from Jaden Schwartz and Alex Pitrangelo. So definitely really great news for him and not so exciting news for Pareko. Overall, St. Louis, they've been kind of bad. Like they've got a five-game losing streak going. Maybe after today, they've got an easy one versus Colorado. So I have a feeling that losing streak will end. But I also feel like you shouldn't use the results of today's game to help inform future decisions because these are all the teams. We're going to talk later about some players who had good games, but they happen to be against Colorado. So don't even think about that game. Overall, St. Louis, they might be in a little bit of trouble. Back to Pitrangelo, he's been a half point per game guy all season long, which is a 41 point pace. I feel like he gets a huge value upgrade on the top power play. I feel like even with the St. Louis slump, if you're a Pitrangelo owner, that's amazing. If you're not, like, I wonder if you could try to buy him from someone else who maybe doesn't realize that he's gotten this increased role. Of course, there's also the chance that he'll get bumped at some point and then Pareko will take his spot on the top power, but I don't know how secure this spot is. Like, what do you think, Brian? So I guess, first of all, is it a big upgrade for Pitrangelo, even with the St. Louis slump? And also, do you think he'll be able to hold the spot? First of all, did you watch the YouTube video I sent you earlier this afternoon when I said, start practicing? Oh, you know what? I didn't because I knew it was just going to be about his name. And I think I said it just fine, right? Petrangelo. Petrangelo. What did I say? Petrangelo. What's the difference? Petrangelo. It's like... I said Petrangelo. Oh my... Can you not hear the difference? Petrangelo and Petrangelo? Yeah, huge difference. Oh my God. You're... You say so many names in silly ways. Okay, this is... When when you get your back up against the wall, you just come right back at me instead of saying maybe... Maybe I should have watched the video. Maybe I should have taken care to pronounce the name right. You know, I don't really like when people send me a YouTube video. Like, I'm out. I can't, like, be like, oh, so, you know, if you send me a message, I could surreptitiously read it. No one will know that I'm doing it. I can't just, like, open a video and listen to it while I'm out with my family. I don't want you to listen to it during family time. Listen to it. You had time when you got home. Anyway, Alex Petrangelo, I forget what the question is by now. I guess what I'll say is that he'll step into Shattenkirk's spot for now. But he's not going to be Kevin Shattenkirk. So his value goes up because he's a QB1 on a power play. But I'm not sure what the plan is going forward for him with Pareko right there. And of course, we're all waiting for the Blues to pull the trigger on bumping Pareko up. It seems like an inevitability. Just don't know when it's going to happen. So for now, yeah, Petrangelo is a more enticing fantasy prospect. Although I imagine he's already rostered. So there's not a whole lot you can do about it. I'm just curious to know, like, why do you think it's an inevitability that Pareko takes that spot? Like, Petrangelo has been there for a couple of games, and he's been doing okay. He's a good defenseman on the team. Like, I'm just curious to know, like, why do you think it's so certain that Pareko, just because he's younger and he was doing it last year? Yeah, and his shot rates are better. Like, he's a really great offensive defenseman. In fact, he's a really great all-around defenseman. So I just imagine it's a role that he can step into. Petrangelo had been in this role for a little bit, during his time with St. Louis. I guess he spent his whole career there, so that was an unnecessary clause to add to the end of my sentence. However, I still like think he has limited upside in this role. I don't see why not 
throw your young gun out there and see what he can do. Yeah, I guess we'll see. We're getting lots of suggestions in the chat room to maybe like name this episode My Pet Rangelo. Fine, I'm not saying it right. You're right. I guess I do get a little defensive. I should probably just try to learn things. I, you know, I come around eventually. But okay, what about uh, Colton Pareko? So you're saying you think eventually he should get to that spot. Currently, though, he's pointless in five, still taking lots of shots, like you say, 28 points in 63 games overall, though, which isn't that great. We expected him to be a must out of Shattenkirk left and now not so much. With this slump in a one year league, is Colton Pareko worth holding at this point, hoping that he'll get on that top power play? Like, fantasy playoffs are around the corner, and a guy on, what is it, like a 38, 35-point pace normally isn't rosterable. Maybe for a defenseman, it's, like, barely rosterable, and I guess with those shots, that puts him over the line. But I'm just curious to know if you think it's worth holding him and you think he'll make an impact in the next, like, couple of weeks or if you can let him go in a one-year league. Clearly, you're saying that you think he still has a lot of value in a keeper league since he'll be on that top power play maybe as soon as next year. Yeah, exactly. So value in a keeper league in a one year, if he's not already rostered, you can probably just hang on at least until something happens in St. Louis and goals start being scored and players start collecting points. But he does have more value than your run of the mill 35, 40 point D-man, because unlike your run of the mill 35, 40 point D-man, he collects two and a half shots per game, roughly. His shooting percentage is also a little bit down this year, so he could have a couple more goals than he does already. And he already does have nine power play points, so he is someone who can be a power play producer. I don't know like, if you need to add him preemptively in case he gets put on the power play. I feel like if he's not already owned in your league, you can just wait until it happens. But I think he should at least be on your watch list so you have easy access to him for when he does step up into a more offensive role or again when the rest of the Blues start scoring again. Yeah, and okay, since we're on St. Louis, like I mentioned, they're on a losing streak. They've had two Shattenkirk-less games so far, not including today versus Colorado, which I think, like, again, you shouldn't even count because Colorado is such a brutal team. But, you know, they had a 2-1 to loss to Edmonton, a 3 nothing loss to Winnipeg. We'll see how they do today. But I feel like with this slump, can everyone on St. Louis, aside from Petrangelo and Tarasenko, be dropped in, like, an average 12-team league? Like, you've got guys like Stasny, Steen, Schwartz, you know, they're all on the top power play. And like I said, Stasny scored today, but none of them seem so exciting if this team's not going to be able to score goals. Yeah, what a frustrating bunch, right? We've talked about all year long how they've gone up and down the depth chart into the top six with Tarasenko, without Tarasenko, into the top nine. I don't know. I'm tired of the whole thing with all these St. Louis Blues forwards. I'm glad I sold high on scene during his last gasp, I'm going to call it, because I don't think he's coming back. I don't think the shots are coming back. I don't think he's ever going to score again, maybe in his career, like he was, say, three weeks ago, getting like seven goals on 21 shots or whatever it was, I would feel okay, especially in one year, streaming them out if you've got better options waiting for you in free agency. Okay, and let's go on to the next trade. There was obviously a lot of trades. I'm going to talk about the guys who have made somewhat of an impact or the trades that somewhat interest me. We actually did a patron cast last Wednesday where we gave our like quick takes on every single trade that happened. Some of them I just went like, boring next but we mentioned every single trade that happened so if you're a patron of keeping carlson and you haven't listened to that you could log into your patreon account and download that episode or you could sign up still to be a patron and one of the things you'll get is access to old patron cast so think about it keeping carlson.com slash patron there's we've got a few trades i wanted to talk about today so mark straight went to tampa for phil pula and some picks and then tampa bay flipped him over to pittsburgh so let's talk about mark straight now as a pittsburgh penguins he's played two games so far in his first game he had a goal and a power play assist and four shots on goal which is definitely not something 
we predicted in the patron cast. I think we were even saying that maybe Mark Strait should be downgraded in value going to Pittsburgh because he'd be behind Latang and Schultz. But now Latang, the news comes out that his injury is now long term. He's no longer day to day. Of course he's not. Why? Why would he be? He's now week to week, or who even knows? And then Schultz and Strait were even sharing time on the top power play for a little bit there was a short stretch in that first game where Hornfist was bumped as these want to do sometimes and straight got some power play time that's how he got that power play assist today he had a quieter game he was off the top power play no points but still he was plus ones he was on the ice for a goal four shots again so he has eight shots in two games i feel like at this point we were a bit off straight's value seems to increase in pittsburgh at least while Latang is out which like i said could be for a while even if he's not on the top power play he's still an offensive defenseman sharing the ice with all of these pittsburgh high school Scoring forwards. So I think if he's available as a free agent in your league and your league counts shots, I don't see why not go and grab Mark straight at this point. Yeah, with Latang out, I guess that makes straight what Schultz is when Latang is in the lineup which is somewhere in the neighborhood of a 40-point blue liner. You know, Mark Strait maintained solid rate stats while playing on the second power play unit this year. And the guy, even as a 39-year-old, is still underrated in some respects, just shy of a 40-point pace despite second-pairing ice time, power play two deployment, and hard luck on ice shooting percentage. At even strength, as we know, the whole Flyers squad has suffered from this year. I really like the acquisition for the Pens. He's still a pretty useful guy both offensively and defensively. And like you said, with Latang out, he holds some fantasy value. Yeah, and Chris is saying here in the chat that Strait had a goal today that was definitely a goal, but it was disallowed. So I haven't seen the replay, but maybe he could have even gotten something today. So I like him. Schultz, obviously, we've already said with Latang out. Yeah, so Schultz is super valuable and frustrating for Latang owners. I guess I'm no longer a Latang owner because I'm eliminated from the Cacuffles. At least I don't have to be annoyed about his situation any longer. Since we're on Pittsburgh, another big name that joined the team, or I guess you could say rejoined the team, Connor Sheary returned from his injury on Friday. And this is what the lines have been for the last couple of games. Crosby, Sheary, Kunitz, and then Malkin, Hornquist, and Haglin, and then Kessel, Gensel, and Benino. Nothing for Sheary in his return, but he had a goal and assist and four shots today in the win over Buffalo. I feel like he's obviously a must rostered guy. Like you need to have him on your roster if he's like available somehow as a free agent in your league. He was on like a 70 point pace before he got injured. And you know, he had a goal and assist today. I'm talking about Connor Sheary. That was playing with Crosby who had no goals, but nine shots on goal. So, you know, if Crosby, if a couple of those goals go in, Sheary has himself also a bigger night. Probably he probably gets another assist. So I feel like playing with Sidney Crosby is so good. Like Chris Kunitz has been doing nothing lately, but just because he's playing with Crosby, I feel like he's always worth at least a spot start if he's available in your league and Pittsburgh is playing, you know, you probably already own him or someone owns him if your league counts hits, but if not, just Sidney Crosby's having such an amazing year. Like, I don't recall him being the type of guy that would take nine shots, but also was against the Buffalo Sabres. Anyway, also Patrick Hornquist, I mentioned above, he was knocked off the top power play for a little bit a couple of games ago. He has kind of been snoozing. He was back on the top power play today. He actually did have a power play assist, which is nice, but he has no goals in his last 10 games, like just four assists in that span. Still takes three or four shots every game, but for some reason the puck isn't going in. A lot of people are starting to wonder if he's a snoozer or someone that you really need to be holding on to. Obviously, I just kind of feel like while he's on the top power play, how can you let a guy like that go, especially if he still takes those shots? But it's frustrating. Like, What's going on with Patrick Hornquist? Well, first off, Chris Kunitz, yeah, you're right. Even playing with Crosby and not scoring, he still gets some value. I just wish Crosby could share some of that shooting wealth. Kunitz's shots on goal used to be at least a peripheral he could offer even when he wasn't scoring along with Crosby. He has just eight shots though in his last six games and half of those 
came in the same game against Philadelphia. So in leagues where like that are fairly shallow and it's not going to make much of a difference if he gets a point here and there and shots count, I might prefer to cycle him out for somebody who might get more shots for you. As for Patrick Hornfist, it's been a really, really rough stretch for him. I've been having trouble with him for a long time on my roster. He has just two goals on his last 42 shots. That's a sub 5% shooting percentage. And I remember back in December, we had a lot of people unhappy with the dry spell of his and rightfully so. But I looked into it then and I saw how good he still looked on the ice, along with some great numbers all around to back it up. Some of his numbers are even better than last year. So my advice was to hang on because he's playing in a way that compares favorably to other forwards who are having successful 60-point paces all season long. I held on as a Hornquist owner, and I have paid the price as a Hornquist owner. Now I'm out of the cup full, and I think he's one of the reasons. I'm going to say he is anyway. His production is still just stuck in neutral. His shot locations are pretty similar to past years, though. So, like, I don't know. Things look better or the same for Hornquist based on previous years. So I'm kind of stumped. The good news is if you own him and your league counts hits, he is like a beast when it comes to that category this year. Already has 38 more hits in three quarters of a season than his career high, which he just set last year in Pittsburgh. He has 18 hits over his last two games alone, averaging four and a half per game over his last eight. So that's cool, but that's not exactly all we hope for from Patrick Hornquist. I still don't understand. I'll be honest. I don't know why this production isn't coming, but I still have a lot of faith that it can. So maybe in a keeper format, this is a time when you can send it a feeler to the Hornfist owner, see if they're down enough on him to hand him over to you. Maybe it'll help you out for the rest of this year. If not, I still think he's going to help you next year. Yeah, I guess I am a little concerned with how sometimes he gets bumped from that top power play. It would be nice if that was a more secure spot for him. I should also mention, I said that Kunitz was on that top line and you talked about him. If you look a little deeper at the Dauber line combos for the day, the most amount of time that Crosby was on the ice, he was with Kunitz and Shiri. But it looks like at some point things got shaken up and he spent some time with Gensel and Shiri. So I guess Kunitz got bumped to the bottom line and Jake Gensel rears his head again. This guy, you know, if he's available in your league... He's definitely worth looking at because he does seem to get some time with Crosby. It's nice to see him getting it even with Shiri back. I think we were saying once Connor Shiri comes back, forget about Jake Gensel, but maybe not. And he actually had a really good game today. He scored a goal and he had six shots. So Jake Gensel definitely can produce an interesting guy. All these guys on Pittsburgh that get a shot with either Crosby or Malkin always seem to put up points every once in a while. That's why it's so hard to drop them. And okay, so that's the Pittsburgh side of the Mark Streit saga on that day where he moved from Philly to Tampa to Pittsburgh. Another major player that got moved or at least the second most somewhat interesting player that got moved was Philpola going to Philly and I would have originally thought eh whatever I mean maybe he'll get a point every now and then but actually yesterday he was playing on a line with Jake Voracek and Braden Shen which is a very nice landing spot for Valtteri Philpola then they had Giroux and Simmons on line one with Jordan Wheel We'll see how long that lasts. But yeah, Phil Pula, he scored a goal and had three shots in his first game with Philly on Thursday versus Florida. Nothing yesterday, but, you know, another two shots on goal, which isn't too bad. And he has nice line mates. Is he worth testing out while he's on this great line? Overall, he has a 47-point pace on the season, which isn't great, but it isn't horrible. Like, he's been a somewhat reliable half-point-per-game guy, a little bit higher than that in Tampa Bay. And it seems like he's in a better situation right now in Philadelphia. Yeah, seems better for now. I still wouldn't get overly excited. Don't expect the world from him. I think a half point per game pace would be a success. Anything on top of that is gravy. Well, you know me. I I like riding these line combinations. As long as Philpool is there, I feel like he'll be able to get a little more, maybe like a 50-55 point pace, but we'll see. I mean, Philly's also had some trouble scoring themselves. Wanted to bring it up, though. 
Philly also had an outjury. Travis Konechny returned in their last game, but he was put on line four with Bellamare and Vandeveld. Though obviously sometimes when players come back from injury, it takes them time before they work their way up the lineup. We already talked about him when he got injured and we were saying how he, you know, he hadn't been very impressive in his last games before he got injured. So we'll see. I wonder if he could put Phil Pula's spot in jeopardy or maybe Jordan Wheel might not be long for that first line with Giroux and Simmons. Maybe Konechny can get there. So it'll be interesting to see how these lines shake out after a couple of games with Konechny and Phil Pula on the team and since we're on philly brian gotta talk about him like we do every couple of weeks steve mason he's back to getting starts over neuberth last time we talked about them we were saying how neuberth was getting every start mason wasn't playing finally mason got in the net and he had a good game so he got to play again and all of a sudden he's played three games in a row he got a shutout over colorado which obviously we're not going to count but then he had a 2-1 win over florida and only lost two to one to washington in overtime yesterday which is a very impressive feat in itself so i guess same drill as usual add mason for now until he has a bad game, because after that, they're going to play Neuwirth for like six in a row. I mean, I wondered, there was this news that came out around the trade deadline that Neuwirth signed a two-year extension. I have no idea what this actually means. Like, clearly, this doesn't have a huge effect on him getting more time since Mason's been the one getting all the games lately. But I'm curious to get your take. Am I right? Add Mason, obviously, if he's available, but don't expect this to last for the rest of the year. Yeah, add Mason. And yeah, I like... It's so funny how many cycles of this we go through with so little new to say. It's like we know this is going to happen. I don't know about the future in Philly. Neuwirth signing means that either the Flyers want to commit to him or they want to be able to expose him in the expansion draft and protect Anthony Stollers. Keep in mind, Mason is missing from that picture. So I don't know where he fits into the Flyers' long-term plans. Grab him while he's playing. In his last three starts, he has stopped 94 of 97 shots only led in three goals, a 969 save percentage with two wins and an overtime loss. Who wouldn't want that on their roster? And he's quite likely a free ad from free agency in a lot of leagues if you're quick enough because he was playing poorly and then not playing at all for a very long time. It is curious to me that since the trade deadline, Neuwirth has sat. Like I always sort of had the feeling that he was being showcased for another potential team and he just was playing so badly that they couldn't send him away. I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing is weird, as always. Steve Mason, as always, should be the Flyers' number one goalie. As long as he keeps playing like this, he better keep getting starts. And Brian, I wanted to get through all of the trades before thanking our sponsor for this podcast, but I guess we got a little sidetracked with excuses for our cupful losses and complaints about name pronunciation. By the way, there's a reason why we put Dave's podcast at the end of the last show. Like, yeah, it was really fun and good and had some great advice, but mainly I just wanted people to hear him and all of his bad pronunciations so that they would get off our backs. Once again, Elon deflecting the <laughs> criticism that comes your way and repositioning it towards other people. Good move. Okay, fair, but okay, one site that definitely can't attract any criticism is our sponsor for this episode, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest way to find hockey tickets this season. There's nothing like being behind the glass for the biggest matchups of the year. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get guaranteed seats you want for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. And it's by far the easiest way i found to buy hockey tickets. I could be anywhere. The internet. Fantastic. Just a few taps. I could instantly find seats for this weekend or any game this season. All these players are moving teams. It's fun to see a player on their new team. So why not buy a ticket to a game and check them out? And you can buy that ticket on SeatGeek. And since you're a listener of Keeping Carlson, you could even get a special rebate offer. Yeah, the special rebate offer goes as such. You qualify for it if it's your first Ticket purchase with SeatGeek, and when you sign up, you enter the promo code KEEPING in your account info or the bonus part of the app. 
depending on how you sign up, you can also do it on the website. Anyway, you make your purchase, you get a $20 rebate, nice little discount on your first ticket purchase. Good reason to go there. I also like Elon SeatGeek. They have the value, like the deal value of every, you know me, I talk about food prices a lot. So it's good for me to know about ticket prices. If there's a crummy deal, if there's not a good deal out there, like if every seat has a deal score 50 or lower, SeatGeek is going to lend me. They're going to say, these deals are crummy. You don't need to buy a seat now. You can wait. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, Brian. You must love SeatGeek for that feature. That's amazing. I'm sure you'd be like, oh, $59. If it was $58, I'd consider it. But I think I'm going to wait. Put an alert on it. SeatGeek has that ability, by the way. You put an alert and you get notified. It's cool. All right. Let's get back to some more trains. Did you like my little impression of your voice there? Well, I just, uh, that was the, oh my gosh. I don't think it was deserved at all. I'll keep that going. Uh, Okay, what's the next train to talk about? Uh, Drew Stafford to Bob. Okay, no, that would be horrible, right? I think Jay on Survivor did that voice in a funny quote at one point. I'm already annoyed. Let's move on. Far off the tracks. Okay, I want to talk about Drew Stafford going to Boston for a pick. I probably wouldn't have brought him up, except he earned a mention with a huge game yesterday versus New Jersey. He had seven shots, one assist, four hits. He's on the third line, but I'd say it's one of the nicest third lines you could be on. Drew Stafford, Ryan Spooner, Frank Vetrano, not too bad. Lots of firepower on Boston to have these three on their third line, in my opinion. Generally, Stafford doesn't get seven shots on goal most games. Overall, he only has 75 shots in 41 games this year, so not even two shots a game. Is there any reason to expect that he can keep this, not keep this up, but have a higher amount of production in Boston rather than in Winnipeg? Yeah, generally, he does not get seven shots on goal per game, although it is the eighth time in his 11-year career that he has registered seven or more shots on goal in a single game. He does it once every 100 games or so, so that's about when you can count on it happening next. And yeah, he's not generally known for being a big shooter. A couple of shots per game is what you can expect from him, even in his new location. The line he's on, especially like guys like Vitrano, the directive seems to be to shoot the puck every time they have it. So maybe... He'll get an extra shot here or there if that is the way the line continues playing. But there's no reason I see yet to think that he is going to suddenly start exploding for regular three or four shot games just by virtue of being on a new team. And yeah, let's mention his line mates, by the way. Ryan Spooner has three goals and four assists in his last nine games, two power play points. Keep in mind, Ryan Spooner, he's been on power play one. He's still there with Marshawn and Bergeron and Pasternak and Krug. So there's a reason why he's getting a couple power play points every couple of weeks. I probably would have Spooner as one of my top common free agents right now. Like he's easy to forget because he goes on cold streaks, but he takes a decent number of shots. And like I said, he's getting points lately. And on that top power play, Vetrano, like I said, oh, he's decent, right? He has a solid, slightly above half point per game pace and he takes good numbers of shots. So I kind of like all the people on that line, but I definitely have Spooner first. Also, by the way, Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak have all been well over a point per game over the past 25 games, which is two months. Like over the two months, you can expect over a point per game from Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak. Amazing. Tori Krug is not even that far behind with 21 points in 25 games. Krejci with 19. This team can score. They weren't when Claude Julien was getting fired. And so, uh, yeah, I don't think Bruce Cassidy is doing anything particularly special, but it is nice that a lot of the Bruins are on track and rolling just fine. Okay, and then another couple of players that I probably wouldn't have mentioned, except they produce. That's how you earn your spot on Keeping Carlson. Not only do you need to get traded, you need to do something with it. And Alex Burrows and Victor Stahlberg have both found themselves on the Ottawa Senators. A nice landing spot for Alex Burrows, who was playing with Mark Stone and Derek Broussard yesterday and seeing some power play time. He didn't have any points or shots yesterday, which is 
pretty lame, but he scored twice versus Colorado on Thursday. But again, Colorado, I kind of just don't want to count it, but still nice to see him in the top six. I feel like maybe he's worth a flyer while he's in the Ottawa top six playing with Mark Stone. He only has 22 points in 57 games on the season, so he definitely hasn't been worth owning up until now, probably not for a couple of years. He was a fantasy-relevant guy for a few years back when he was younger and on Vancouver, but I like his landing spot, like I said. Not sure if I would add him. Curious to see what you'll say about Alex Burrows. It is a nice landing spot for him. Playing with Mark Stone is a great way to pick up some points. If you're on the ice with him, that definitely raises the likelihood that you can get a point. But the thing is that Burroughs only played 11 and a half minutes last night, and he only played 14 in his first game as a Sen. So I think he has marginal fantasy value still. Maybe like a poor man's Chris Kunitz for as long as he's on a decent line. But I'm not expecting a lot of two-goal outbursts or picking up a lot of assists in limited minutes being played in the top six. And I think eventually out of the top six. I feel like the Sens should have better options up there. So are some of the better options the line of Stahlberg, Chris Kelly, and Tommy <laughs> Wingles? <laughs> Maybe Wingles. We always believe that Wingles could step up into a top six, top three role and destroy. <laughs> Victor Stahlberg, though, he's no more than a bottom six guy. Good for a couple hits and a shot or two, but that's about it. So unlikely to have much value in any format. Yeah, but he did score yesterday versus Columbus, but I agree. I don't expect that to keep up. Okay, that's it, I guess, for now for the trades that I was planning to talk about. We'll sprinkle another couple as we keep going. Let's move on to injuries because we have a couple big ones we have to talk about. I can't believe it's 847 and we haven't talked about how Roberto Luago was injured on Thursday versus Philly. And initially they said he'd be out a week, which wouldn't be too big of a deal, I guess. But a cryptic recent Roto World update says Luago isn't sure how long he'll really be out. So, uh uh-oh, I don't know what that means. Could this be like a Varlamov? situation where all of a sudden they just shut him down for the year either way i think this clearly makes reimer a must add he already was a must add before he had been seeing most of the starts over the past couple of weeks before luongo's injury and james reimer he's having a really great season maybe under the radar like he had two goals against on 34 shots in the two to one loss to dallas yesterday which brought him overall to a 922 save percentage which is well above league average also florida should hopefully be able to score more goals now that they're healthy like actually they've gone a couple of games without scoring very much which is a bit concerning but they added thomas vanek at the trade deadline maybe we could talk about him in a second but i feel like james reimer especially with luongo maybe out we've got a starting goalie on a good team the florida panthers i think james reimer is like the steal of free agency right now if he's available i'd be curious to know brian who would you want short term and for the rest of the season james reimer or steve mason I will go James Reimer. It's unfortunate that Luongo got injured, just going back to him for a minute, because there was a lingering thought that even though Reimer was having some good performances, they were still sort of uneven. And maybe Luongo could hold on to 1A or at least 1B if Reimer stumbled. And then he sort of did. And then Luongo played solid game in another solid period. And then boom, out of the lineup. As we've mentioned in the past, Reimer is likely up to the task of being a number one goalie. And that's exactly was in front of him with Luongo out of the lineup. He's on a better team than Mason is, which is why I like him more than Mason, and also has a lot less competition. Like, we know the Panthers aren't going to randomly throw in Red Obera. So, uh, so yeah, I like Reimer. I also like Reimer as a keeper. If you're in a keeper format, and I said as much this offseason when he signed that five-year deal with Florida, it was pretty apparent that he was their plan A for the future with an aging Luongo sunsetting. So all he has to do now is not give them any reason to want to go to plan B and he's got that starter's job for the foreseeable future. Of course, I think if Luongo is healthy and is ready to play next year, maybe they'll still split starts, or Luongo will just be a pretty capable backup, like 2A. Is that a thing? Not quite a 1B, but not quite a number 2. 
But Reimer, I expect to get the lion's share of the starts for the Panthers over the next, well, hopefully over the duration of the rest of his contract. Yeah, well, Reimer's 28 years old, which should still be a nice age for him to be able to produce for a few more years. Luongo's 37, but he's a beast. But even Roberto Luongo, I feel like, has to slow down. And we've seen it this year. He's been inconsistent, especially lately. So it's too bad he's injured. Hopefully, you know, this isn't it for him. Chris is like, is that it for Roberto Luongo here in the chat? So hopefully not. Uh, Hopefully he'll be back this year. But either way, I think Reimer's definitely a guy who's very valuable both for this year and in the Keeper League. Brian, in the league where we're against each other, it's a keep 10. You can keep 10 of any position you want. And I I've got Price and Talbot and Reimer, who I just picked up off a free agency a couple of weeks ago. Now I'm thinking Reimer's going to be a keeper. I'm just going to keep three goalies, not have to worry about them in the draft. So it'll be fun to think about that all throughout the summer. And since we are on Florida, I did mention Thomas Vanek. So he was playing with Marcheseau and Bjugstad on line three yesterday, not on the top power play. Like I was pontificating, he could be on the patron cast. I was sort of saying, I mean, Vanek's good on the top power play. He was doing it on Detroit. He stands in front of the net and he's a big presence, but he wasn't there. So I was worried for Marcheseau or Yager getting bumped. That didn't happen yet from the top power play. We'll see if maybe something changes in Vanek's first games. He has no goals, but he had two shots yesterday and five on Thursday. So I don't know. I think his value kind of goes down. He's not like a top guy. He's in the bottom six on a decent line with Marshall and Bjugstad. Sure. But if he's going to be in the bottom six and not on the top power play, then I feel like you could probably drop him in most formats. Yeah, he's still a useful player, but he won't be seeing the same opportunities in Florida that he was seeing in Detroit. You can probably bump him down to 50, hopefully. 55-point pace for the rest of the season, but even that might still be optimistic for the role that he's playing as a Panther. Okay, next injury I wanted to talk about. Kyle Ocposo on the Sabres is week-to-week with a rib injury, which is a very bad break as he's been on a roll. He has 12 points in his last 14 games, but obviously this streak will have to be halted for a little bit. Hopefully he'll be back soon. For the people who own him, hopefully he'll be back in time for your fantasy playoffs or at least for your fantasy playoff finals or semifinals if you can make it that far without him. So, of course, this is a big change because he's a guy who's been like on a good line and on the top power play let's look at the lines from the last couple of games including today for buffalo versus pittsburgh they were rolling with ryan o'reilly vander kane and ryan gianta and then eichel with reinhardt and marcus felino and then the top power play has been eichel kane o'reilly reinhardt and then rasses first line and so obviously there's a big impact here a huge boost for evander kane who gets on the top power play a place he really hasn't been while he's been on Buffalo. He's also, like I said, on a good line with Ryan O'Reilly. Now he's on the top power play. And after that slow start, Evander Kane has been putting together a really, really great season. He has 34 points in 53 games for a 52-point pace, but 20 points in 27 games for a 60-point pace over the last couple of months. He had another assist today and 10 shots on goal. And I think I wrote that when the game wasn't even over yet. So let me take a quick check. 11 shots on goal today. What Evander Kane... Oh my goodness. Like, plus this guy has 23 goals in 53 games or maybe 54 games now, even with the slow start. That's a 36 goal pace, clearly over a 40 goal pace over the last couple of months. Like now add that he's on the top power play. This guy is just prime. Like if he could just stay healthy, which that's a big risk for him. Same with Hansel, who we talked about before. But of course, you know, Evander Kane, much more valuable than Martin Hansel. Like if Evander Kane can stay healthy, like, is he now a, like a 60 point 40 goal guy? Like we hoped he would be. I feel like I asked you this a couple of weeks ago, but now that Akpos is injured, his stock goes up even more. Like maybe Akpos won't be out for long, but even like, regardless, he's so good. We gave up on him too soon. Actually, I think there was a popular suggestion that we gave up on him too late, that we should have given up on him sooner. In fact, I feel like when we had recently given up on him, it was the last time like we finally said enough already with this high upside for goal scoring and shot taking and hits. And I did 
finally say earlier this year that I no longer expect Evander Kane to fulfill his hope for potential until further notice. But of course, now he is serving that notice. But I do want to point out, I don't think that this is all for real. I don't expect him to be able to maintain a 40-goal pace. His scoring has been buoyed by a high, even-strength individual shooting percentage. Over his last 12 games, he has nine goals on 40 shots, which means he's shooting 22.5%, only one assist in that span, too. So if the goals dry up, I'm just saying, don't get too cozy with him. Keep an eye on that goal scoring and shot taking the shooting percentage. Although if he puts 11 shots on goal a game, of course, he can keep scoring per game at this rate. But this is a guy who we're used to seeing take a ton of shots and not score on like 93% of them. So while it's nice that he's scoring more, I'm not ready to buy in wholeheartedly that he's suddenly going to be able to score on even 15% of them, let alone 20. So I guess the conclusion in all this is to maybe restore some faith in the potential we believed he had up until some point this year when we finally gave up and then he started ripping it up again. Maybe he can still be a solid goal-scoring shot-taking forward with a couple hits mixed in here and there, but I'm still reluctant to really jump right back into saying Evander Kane is definitely a top-line capable forward. Yeah, well, we'll see. It's looking good. What do you think is the probability that he stays healthy for the rest of the season? Like 60%, 70%? I don't know. I don't know. How do you know? He Just remember that he's injury prone. So don't put right. all of your eggs on his basket regardless. I mean, we were talking, Elon, you and I, like we both have Latang in various pools and we're ready to take on that risk at the start of the season. Yet Evgeny Malkin, who neither the rest took the risk on, has been healthy all year long. So injuries are just a total crapshoot, right? Like there are guys who are more likely to get injured than not. But Malkin, this is the year he's been healthy. And let's not jinx Evander Kane. Let's just hope everything goes well. Okay, well, I think you just jinxed Malkin, but okay, hopefully for his owners, uh, no one was listening. Okay, let's take a quick tour of the Sabres while we're here. Some really interesting players. First of all, Ryan O'Reilly, he's too underrated. We still get questions where people list like, oh, I want to pick this guy up. Should I drop this guy or this guy or this guy? And Ryan O'Reilly, I've been seeing in that list. Like, why would you drop Ryan O'Reilly? He has 43 points in 55 games on the year. That's a 64-point pace. He has 25 points in 28 games over the last two months. That's before today, by the way, for an even higher point pace another goal and six shots today like I want to ask these people who are talking about potentially dropping Ryan O'Reilly like what did you expect from him like did you expect him to be a 75 point guy and now you're disappointed I feel like I would have been very happy to see a 65 point pace that's what he's giving you a solid 65 point pace with a decent number of shots good number of power play points he's great he is this is what I expected 60 65 points Big role on the power play, big role on the Sabres. He's one of the biggest drivers of offense on the team. And Elon, you're about to talk about one of the other biggest drivers of offense on the Sabres. Yeah, okay. So I'll just do my full tour, maybe, then you can give the rest of your responses. So Jack Eichel, he's up to 41 points in 44 games now. Is he even better than we projected at the start of the year? It's it's crazy. Like I was saying when he came back, I see this guy as like a 70-point guy. You said uh, maybe closer to 60-65. Then at some point, when he was on like a little bit of a dip, I said, uh, maybe you were right, Brian. Maybe I was a bit too high on him to say 70. And then since then, he's been on such a tear. Now he's looking like he can maybe be a point-per-game guy through the rest of the season. Yet another goal today, six shots on goal himself actually that's something i didn't check before we started the show let me see so yeah scratch that 10 shots on goal by the end of the game for jack eichel man matt murray was busy today oh he got pulled 
Oh, look at this. Murray got pulled, and then Fleury came in and made 28 saves and let in no goals. Oh, that's an interesting turn of events for the Pittsburgh Penguins today. But, okay, back to the Buffalo guys. Yeah, Eichel had 10 shots. I was talking about Ryan O'Reilly before. He ended with seven. But, yeah, I wanted to just ask you, and you can respond to that in a bit. Eichel, I thought he was going to be a 70-point guy. You said closer to 60-65. I agreed with you. Now he's looking like a point-for-game guy. Where do you land on him for the rest of the year and, like, moving forward next year? Is he, like, a guy you draft in the first round of your pool, first or second round? And then... Gotta also mention Marcus Foligno, who you've got to like on that Eichel line, along with Sam Reinhardt, especially if your league counts hits. Foligno scored a couple of goals and had five shots on Thursday's game versus Arizona. He also had eight hits that game. He didn't do anything yesterday and only one shot on goal versus Tampa, but seven hits. But he had an assist and six hits today. So I'm liking in the short term, obviously I'm not as excited about Marcus Foligno as these other guys we've mentioned on Buffalo. But I think with Ocposo injured and Foligno getting into the top six, he's looking like a really good ad, especially if your league counts hits. He, before today, was third in the league in hits just behind Mark Borowiecki and Matt Martin. I think Gudas would also be ahead of Marcus Foligno if he didn't miss some time. But still, like, obviously, Marcus Foligno throws the body around quite a lot. So if your league counts hits, why not add one of the best contributors in that category who also happens to be on a line with Jack Eichel right now? Yeah, getting some good ice time in which he can throw hits. And it's great to be playing with Jack Eichel. This year, we hoped that he could push up to 60 points with upside for 65. So his near point per game pace lately is pretty fantastic. Dauber hockey writer, past guest, and patron of the show, Cam, wrote that he thinks Eichel will be pushing 90 points in his prime. I don't know if he was ready to be quoted on that when he put that up in the Facebook group earlier today, but there it is, Cam. You put it out there, so I am sticking your neck out for you. I love the optimism, and a season like this means you can't quickly dismiss the notion. I have a feeling... Playing in Buffalo isn't a way to get drafted in the first couple rounds of your fantasy pools. But if you can get him, like, I don't know. It's too early to really say. But if you can get him just before when everyone else thinks he's actually worth taking, he could be a really great coup for you next year. But I still, at this point, am reluctant to put him above a 65-point guy. Let's wait for the rest of the season to play out, and we'll talk about it in the summer. Yeah, we'll have a whole summer series where we'll discuss all of the players who surprised us this year and who, you know, we think might do better next year. And I'm sure Eichel's name will come up. Brian, 65-point guy. I don't know. I think you're, uh, that's how you play. You usually do pretty well, but I feel like you're not going to get Jack Eichel as a 65-point guy. You might as well just be saying, I'm not planning on drafting him next year because I think people are going to be too high on him. I think instead I should say I don't plan to update my projection on him until the offseason. I still might say he's more than that, but for now I guess I'm being kind of a chicken, unlike Brave Cam. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see, and we'll have a lot of fun in the offseason. I'll be busting your chops trying to see if I can get you to change your mind like I always do with all of these players who have good years. Okay, another injury. Mike Camilleri is week to week with an upper body injury. Uh, Whatever. Like, I kind of want to say, like, why am I bringing him up? He has no points since February 6th. He's been a total snoozer. But it gives us a nice chance to talk about the Devils and the super hot line of Palmieri, Zajac, and Hall. You threw out Zajac's name at the end of the last show, just saying, oh, yeah, maybe take a look at him. He's been on a nice run. So let's give him a little bit more time. He had a stretch of eight points in five games, but he's actually pointless in his last three now, including today. But still, you know, he's on this line with Hall and Palmieri. And Palmieri, even hotter, he has nine points in his last six games. I guess that's before today. But still, like, 25 shots on goal in that span. Brian, you've never really been into Palmieri, so I'm curious to know if anything changes 
with your opinion on him with this recent run? And then, like, assuming Palmieri isn't available, as he isn't in most of the leagues, like, in all the leagues I'm in, he's already taken. I'm curious to know who you would want between Zajac and, say, a Ryan Spooner moving forward. Okay, first off, Mike Camilleri, a big boo to him. He was one of a very small group of rosterable free agents that could have provided your team with four games this week. I added him for my cup full team, just one of many mistakes that I made and I own leading to my defeat uh, in the cupful top tier. Uh, but then, of course, Camilleri went and got hurt before the end of his second game of the week. So that's a bummer for anyone who thought they could ride his four games. And Elon, for Palmieri, I don't know that I've ever not been into him. I think this year I really have warmed him. And in the past years, I've been optimistic about him. I guess I've never been like totally over the moon and say, go, go, go. But I appreciate him for being a reasonably steady scorer on a team where that's hard to find. I'm into the whole line. I'm into Zajac. I'm into Palmieri. Of course, I'm into Taylor Hall. Grab any of them. We've seen good runs from that whole group. And we've also seen that Zajac and Palmieri specifically, playing with Hall can help them substantially. Uh, I would pick up Zajac or Palmieri in the short term. Like you said, Palmieri might not be around. Zajac, I feel like the first time he goes with, in fact, he did go without a point recently. And I'm like, ah, runs over. But we don't know that for sure. I'd give him a, a couple games grace because he's been insanely hot for a little while now. Yeah, he's now up to three games in a row without a point after New Jersey got shut out today, 3 nothing by Bobrovsky and the Blue Jackets. That's, I guess, the main risk with these New Jersey guys. Like, New Jersey could just get shut out at a moment's notice, and none of your New Jersey players are going to get any points. But if they do score, it seems like it's likely going to come from that Hall and Zajac and Palmieri line. By the way, since I mentioned the Blue Jackets, Oliver Bjorkstrand had a goal and assist today. So that's good for him. But the bad news for him is he was on line three with Hartnell and Gagne. So we were talking about him last week as maybe a guy you'd want to add in the top six. But it looks like Brandon Sad and Nick Felino were back with Wenberg on line one. So maybe the Bjorkstrand story is over, even though, he, you know, it's one of those things. He got a goal assist today, which is great, but I don't see the production continuing if he's not in the top six. Uh, let's go now to Dallas for another injury that maybe you'll say, ah, who cares, but maybe there's some interesting roster implications. Antoine Roussel is out six to eight weeks with a hand injury, which means he's probably out for the rest of the season. He was looking okay in the Dallas top six. We talked about last week when Patrick Eves was traded that this opened up a spot and Roussel might have a solid shot staying with either Ben or Sagan. But now with Roussel injured, there's been, of course, another line shakeup in Dallas. Breaking news! The Dallas Stars have shaken up their lines and in their last game, they were running with Ben, Sagan, and Jason Spezza. So Spezza, a guy who we were saying maybe we're done with him. He's, he had been in the bottom six, not playing with either Ben or Sagan. Now he gets to play with both of them. So who knows? Also the top power play. It's actually, that hasn't changed since the last time we talked about him. So Ben, Hoodler, Sagan, Patrick Sharp, and Essa Lindell still on power play one over Klingberg. But okay, Spezza, he has a three-game point streak now and five points in his last five games. Who knew that an Antoine Roussel injury would be what was needed for Jason Spezza to get back into the top six? Obviously, if Spezza was dropped, I think you've got to add him back while he's playing with Ben and Sagan, even if he's not on the top power play. And then John Klingberg, I want to mention him. It's very interesting that he's not on the top power play, but he's also on a nice run right now. He's got a five-game point streak. He scored versus Florida yesterday. I'm not sure what to make of this. Lindell is pointless in four games with his prime top power play spot. How much longer are the Stars going to let Lindell stay there instead of Klingberg, who's showing he clearly has that offensive flair? I just sort of get the sense they don't care. Like, I feel like they know their season's over, so why not see how this guy does on their top unit, even though he's doing nothing, and Klingberg is still putting up points elsewhere, so maybe it's not a huge deal. Tough break for Roussel to be out just when he might be getting an opportunity, but I am happy to see that Spezza 
is in a place in the lineup where he has some help, where he has some more people to work with that can help him pick up points. So if he was dropped, he's someone to certainly keep an eye on. And by the way, do you remember Alish Hemsky? Brian, I saw a Roto World note that Hemsky was going to be coming back. And the first thing I thought to myself was, wait a minute, we just talked about him being on the top power play. Why are they saying that he's only back now? Then I remember, no, that's Yuri Hoodler, not Alish Hemsky. But I, I guess I mixed those two up. I don't know why. I guess just because they're both guys who we got excited about originally when they went to Dallas, thinking they'd have a great opportunity. And then they totally bombed. But yeah. Hemsky's back, but it doesn't matter. He's in the bottom six with like Cody Eakin, another guy, by the way, who you said maybe would benefit from Eves getting traded, but Eakin bottom six. And he's also playing on a line with a guy named Remy Ellie, who I'd never heard of. But anyway, welcome back, Alish Hemsky. I'm glad his career isn't over just yet, though for fantasy, it definitely is. Yeah, both guys went to Dallas, were old, got injured, fell way down the depth chart, have not made a fantasy impression since going to Dallas, at least not a sustained one. So no, I'm not surprised that you mixed them up. I almost wonder if they're now the same guy. <laughs> okay, let's move on to some outjuries now. Actually, just one. Let's talk about Travis Hamanick returning to the Islanders. He's been out with a knee injury since early January. He had one assist and four blocks in his return versus Chicago yesterday, or I think that was on Friday. The Islanders play today against the Calgary Flames. Let's take a quick check-in here. So no goals, no assists, uh, two blocks one shot. So, I mean, this is Travis Hamannick. Like, he's not someone you should get too, too excited about. But I feel like if you're in a league that counts blocks, oftentimes when I'm looking for a spot start block guy on a Sunday, I'm going to look at who has the most blocks in, like, the last 30 days and is playing today. So, obviously, Hamannick's not going to show up because he's been out for a while. But keep him in mind, he has 79 shots in 36 games this year. So, he's averaging a couple blocks per game along with 44 hits and 13 points and 57 shots. So, he's definitely not a bad depth D-man to own or to pick up in a bangers and mash league. So, just remember, Travis Hamannick he exists and he's back for the Islanders. I also wanted to talk about a guy on the Islanders who was recently called up, Joshua Hosang. He was recently drafted by the team, and I remember he ended up getting sent to the minors because he was late for a practice or something. But he's up with the big club, playing with Andrew Ladd and Brock Nelson, which isn't so bad. And he's also with them on power play too, along with Shane Prince. Nothing yet in three games. I'm wondering if he's worth watching at all, if there's any value in picking up Joshua Hosang either this season or in a keeper dynasty league. Well, first off, good catch on Travis Hamannick. I wanted you to slow down so I could give you a pat on the back for that. Never too late. Anytime you sort by blocks, if you're looking for blocks in a block league and you go to recent dates to see how players are blocking recently, make sure you're following the games played column as closely as the blocks column because you might find a guy who has as many blocks as the top guys but has played three quarters of the games. So Travis Hamannick, good that way. Also make sure though that a guy with fewer games play doesn't have them because he's regularly scratched as a lot of blocks guys do I almost made that mistake with the Minnesota's Nate Prosser last week then you asked me about Josh Hosang I guess you know considering how little value any Islander playing away from Tavares has had all season long I am reluctant to anoint an out of exile rookie is having any fantasy potential on Long Island, though it is an interesting line with Ladd and Nelson, no doubt. I still don't expect anything to come from him this year, though. Also on the Islanders, I was going to say breaking news. Nick Letty has been bumped from the top power play for the past couple of games, and Johnny Boychuk has taken his place. So I was going to say my interest in Letty has definitely decreased, and maybe you could drop him now. And I wrote that yesterday. Then I was just going to check in today to make sure that was still the case. And I saw, oh, no, Letty's back on the top power play. Oh, and Johnny Boychuk is out with a foot injury after blocking a shot on Friday. So I guess you can kind of forget all of that bad news for Boychuk, who finally got on the top power play. And I was going to say he's a guy you might want to rush to add, especially in a bankers and mash league, and maybe drop Letty. But I guess Letty has a save execution. He's back on the top power play for what it's worth. So if you were holding him all the this time no reason to drop him now 
Yeah, and in one of those games where he got bumped, he still had a goal, an assist, and four shots before getting bumped. He went without a shot in three straight games. So I think maybe it was just a temporary thing, even if Boychuk was still in the lineup. I thought he would work his way back up there. Of course, it's a little easier now. Yeah, definitely. Not too much other competition. I don't think Travis Hamannick returning is going to hurt Letty's chances of getting on the top power play. Let's move on to some hot streaks, Brian. Some sustainable or fleeting, but definitely no reason to play sustainable or fleeting with the couple goalies I want to talk about, or at least the first one, Carey Price. The last time we talked about him, we were talking about him on a cold streak. And we talked about how he had fallen to like a 917, 918 save percentage on the season. He was like a league average goalie or looking like it or worse in the run that brought him down to that low overall save percentage. But now he's clawed his way back to a 920 so he's even with James Reimer price is at least as good as James Reimer but probably a lot better he's let in two goals or less in each of his last seven games he's got four wins in a row hopefully you bought low like Brian suggested you should when he was on that cold streak earlier and since we're on the Habs I'll mention Radulov is injured he's day-to-day he's really slowed down since the amazing start he had aside from he had a one goal and three assists game in the last couple of weeks but aside from that he's pointless in eight of his last nine so Maybe you'll say the same thing now about Radulov, that you could buy low on him, just like you said before that you should buy low on Price, because that clearly worked out for anyone who got probably the top goalie in the NHL for maybe a cheap value. If you bought low on Carey Price, I would love to hear how. We will tell, we will announce whatever trade you did to acquire him on next week's show. Send us a tweet with proof. I want to know if anyone actually succeeded in buying low on Carey Price, who now has seven straight quality starts above 9.30 in six of them. He's a 9.49 over that whole stretch. So he's back as we knew he'd be. As of Alex Radulov, wondering when he'll be back, well, both physically and on the score sheet as well. He's been pointless in 17 of his last 23 games. Now, there have been five multi-point efforts outside of those 17 pointless games, and those multi-point efforts are the ones that have earned him reprieves from many fantasy owners, including myself, but it's been a pretty rocky couple months for him. I do own him. I don't have room in my IR for him. Ocposo just went in it after Parisi exited him. By the way, Parisi with a power play goal in his return. I don't think I'm going to drop Alex Radulov. His big game potential is just too tantalizing to let go of. But I bet if I dropped him in a shallowish league, he could stay a free agent for a while. So if you think you can just cycle him out until he's healthy or until big games come, like we've all sort of lost sight of the 70-point beast a lot of us were hoping for coming into this season. And it's time to accept that maybe this year will be a somewhat inconsistent one the rest of the way. I just hope he can get back on the ice so he at least has a chance to put up those multi-point games again. Yeah, and I guess with him out, I'll just mention for completion's sake that that gives Brandon Gallagher a spot on the top line with Max Pacioretty and not Galchenyuk. In the last game, it was Dano still holding the top line center spot with Pacioretty and Gallagher. And Brandon Gallagher... He didn't get any points yesterday. He had a, his first goal since returning from injury a couple of games ago versus Nashville for what it's worth. He actually had five shots in that game and three shots last game. So maybe we're seeing a bit of a bounce back from Brandon Gallagher. He's had such a disappointing season, but if he's going to have a bit of a bounce back or put up some production, it'll probably be with Radulov injured. So he might be someone to look at if he's been dropped in your league. Brian, the other goalie I wanted to talk about on a huge hot streak is Brian Elliott. He seems to have secured the net in Calgary. I wonder if the Elliott-Johnson tandem is the second most tandem we've talked about this year beside Mason and Neuverth. But we haven't talked about them lately. 
And maybe we sort of dropped the ball because Elliot has very quietly been earning the job back. And he's actually been really good lately. He's played in nine of the last 10 games for the Flames. He actually has six wins in a row now with the 5-2 win today over the Islanders. He's had an over 943 save percentage in each of his last three games. So he's doing really well lately. I'd be curious to know, do you think it's time to try to sell high on Elliot if you have him? Like, is he actually finally good like he was last year? Or is this just a short spurt where he's putting up some good numbers and now as a savvy owner, you could try to sell him to someone who thinks he can keep this up for the rest of the year? Either way, I feel like for the time being, Chad Johnson could probably be dropped, right? Yeah, for sure. As an owner of that Calgary tandem in one of my pools, I have cut the cord with Chad Johnson and I'm going with Brian Elliott. His 925 save percentage over 11 games since the start of February was enough to convince me and probably the Calgary Flames that he is the guy with higher upside for them in net. He has an 8-1-1 record over those 11 games. And my guess is that he's closer to the 925 he's put up recently than he is to the 891 that he had put up in his 23 appearances before that. Now, he could also be a Jekyll and Hyde type. I see him as the number one in Calgary right now. So I hope he'll keep getting enough starts for us to see if he can stay consistent or if he's going to flip back to Mr. Hyde or Dr. Jekyll or whatever the nasty one was. We'll see if he can get a consistent run of games for us to get a better idea of what he can be because there are two schools of thought, right? The schools are well. In St. Louis, he was a really good goalie and he was better than other goalies would have been in that position. Or the other thought is, ah, he was really helped by his team and you saw him play on defensively deficient teams in Ottawa and Colorado and really flounder a lot, though he did have his hot streaks in Ottawa too. So right now I'm leaning Jekyll and Hyde. You asked me if you should try and sell high. I suppose the question is how high, but you can definitely explore the market, but it is hard to trade a starting goalie on a team that is doing okay, especially because of their goaltending in the Western Conference right as you head into your playoffs. Yeah, Jekyll and Hyde. That's, uh, I think, known by some as one of the worst NES games out there. There's a really funny Angry Nintendo Nerd video making fun of that game. I would check it out on YouTube. Good reference, Brian. But okay, uh, since we're on Calgary, another random name I wanted to bring up. My brother actually added him in the league where we're against each other, Brian, and my brother's in there too. He added Michael Furland, and I was thinking, oh my god, what an idiot, Joel. Like, why are you making these stupid ads? But then I took a look, and maybe he's smarter than I give him credit for, because Furland has been on line one with Gojo and Monaghan for the last couple of games. He scored today, which brings him up to five Five goals and 15 shots in his last seven games no assists but if you're getting five shots in seven games you're worth owning in fantasy the question is of course is he going to be able to keep it up it obviously helps to be playing on a line with Gaudreau and Monaghan right like I assume this won't last and he'll be back in the bottom six soon or maybe Calgary likes having a decent third line like right now they're rolling with Versteeg, Sam Bennett and Troy Brower as their third line of course the Froelich Backland and Kachuk line, that's not breaking apart, but I guess they've decided to put Furland on line one and it's working out right now. I wonder how long he could stay there while he's there. I think he's definitely worth a flyer if he's available in free agency, which I'm sure he is in almost every league, except for mine, because my brother picked him up. So good job, Joel. Furland is a guy that we had talked about, I think earlier in the season, who could have been the third piece of that top line with Monaghan and Gaudreau, especially in place of Troy Brower, if he's to play elsewhere in the lineup. I think he's a serviceable guy. I don't see him as necessarily a downgrade from that other group that you just mentioned on the third line as a downgrade offensively, although uh, maybe his defensive game could use some help. He's a top six player, though, by some offensive measures when you compare him to the rest of the Flames' depth chart. But he still is likely a bottom sixer on most other teams in the league. But they don't have a ton of better options in Calgary, so why not give it a go? And then one more guy on Calgary I'll bring up. Mark Giordano has three goals and four assists in his last nine games to go along with his 23 blocks. 
Nothing on the power play, but definitely a nice bounce back. You know, seven points in nine games is pretty nice, especially considering what he was doing before. But I wonder, is this a bounce back or is it more of a sell high opportunity? I kind of think I might lean towards the latter. He's still not on the top power play. So I'd be curious to know if you prefer him over some of the defensemen that I'm going to be mentioning in the next cold streak section. But overall, nice run for Giordano. Do you think he can keep this up? It's been a nice bounce back, especially for Giordano owners who've been waiting all season for some sunlight because you couldn't really do anything else with him except just grin and bear it. But if you own him right now and you're in a keeper league, this could be your final window to get big value out of him in a deal, to get name value out of him in a deal. He's 33 years old. I don't see things getting a lot better in the long term. Even if he has had some hard luck in his IPP this year, it's been 18% versus the usual high 40%. And his shooting percentage has been low at even strength. Interesting Giordano fact, just to sidebar for a second. He has zero goals this year at five on five. He has nine on the season. None of them have come when there are five players for one team on the ice, five players for the other team. He has three on the power play, two shorthanded, one goal at four on four, one goal at three on three in overtime. One goal when his team has had an empty net, and then one goal when he scored on an empty net. So five on six and six on five situations. Just a little uh, Giordano tidbit there. But my advice to you, especially in a keeper format, is see what return you can get for him now. If you can still parlay him as a big scoring, blocking, shooting defenseman because of this run, you can probably get more value today than what I expect you're going to be able to get for him for the rest of his career and for what he might offer your team for the rest of his career If you're in a one year, you might as well just keep riding it and hope it lasts. If he's a free agent, why not stream him in? I imagine you probably have a depth demon who's not doing anything. So go ahead and try that. But I'm not terribly optimistic that Mark Giordano is going to be super helpful in fantasy going forward. So this last gasp, I don't want to be too hard on him, but it's really nice to see he's doing something this year finally. Yeah, well, you're saying that maybe if he's available, you could drop one of your depth guys for him. So let's get into some of these guys that maybe people are considering dropping. We've definitely been seeing people in our patron-only Facebook group asking if they could finally drop Oliver ekman Larson and Justin Falks. So let's talk about both of them to start off our cold streak section. Toot in our Facebook group asked, if he could drop OEL for Jordan Eberly, he said, I've been waiting all year for something out of OEL, but man, is he just not getting it done. And yeah, that is true. You know, we've been saying for a while, maybe you should hold on. He should be able to bounce back. He's still the top power play guy on Arizona for what it's worth. But Arizona, the team that just traded away Martin Hansel, so they're even shallower. OEL has 34 points in 64 games. It's a 43-point pace. Only one assist in his last eight games and no goals. So really doing nothing for you lately. Hansel gone. Really the only noteworthy forwards on the team seem to be Verbata and Domi. So can we really expect much from Oliver ekman Larson in a one-year league at this point? I would imagine in a keeper league, you should be more optimistic and maybe hold on because they have all this young talent. But how long are people going to have to wait? I think at least until next year. This has not been a happy year for Ekman Larson. Declining shot rates take a huge chunk out of his fantasy value, both in how he just does get fewer shots per game because of it, and also there's a commensurate decrease in goals that comes with a decrease in shots. He's a guy you could hope for 20 goals for in prior years. This year, not the case. After years of averaging two and a half to three shots per game, he's down to less than two per game, and that is a significant drop. So instead of 45, 50 points with a boatload of shots, you're looking at hopefully 45 points without much peripheral help. Nothing hugely special going on in the shots category. Still better than a lot of defensemen around the league, but you still wish it could be a lot better. And 
his terrible plus minus is going to cancel out some of the help he gives you offensively in leagues that count plus minus as a category. But hopefully we're past those. Hopefully those are definitely in our rear view mirror by now. I can only notice that if I'm trying to figure out what's going wrong with him while he's on the ice, the Coyotes shot location has moved this year from being along the blue line and in the low slot to the sideboards and higher up in the slot. So he looks like he's playing less of a role in taking that initial shot from the blue line, which could also create follow-up opportunities for rebounds in that low slot. What to do if you're his owner? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have good news for you. He's still a tough guy to let go of. He's still a 45-point power play QB1, and those guys don't grow on trees. But if you can do better with more games played from a forward, then by all means, to circle back to your initial question from Toot, Elon, he was asking between Ekman Larson and Eberly. my advice to Toot was to peek into free agency and see which of those two players has more comparables available, and then to keep the one that's rare, which in his case was OEL at the end of the day. And I feel like that's going to be the case for most people thinking of dropping him. I guess you could drop him if you're in dire straits because he's not offering you what you hoped, but it's still pretty good. All right. And if we were going to rank him with Giordano and then we'll add Justin Falk to the list, who are you taking for the rest of this season? Huh? Wait, give me, can I have one second? All right, Brian, you take your time. Actually, while you look up whether you want OEL or Mark Giordano, let me mention another slumping guy on Arizona, Mike Smith. Man, he was good for a while. He was having all those high number of save games, like great save percentages, but he's not doing well lately. He's letting six, four, and four goals in his last three games. He seems to kind of be running out of steam. It's kind of tough on this team. They're not giving him much of a break. Like when he plays, they let in a lot of shots. On a positive note, Louis Demang has had two straight wins, only letting in two goals in each of those games versus Carolina and Buffalo. So, I, I mean, Brian, I'm, I'd be surprised if you recommended Demang for even a spot start if he's available in any league. But I wanted to throw it out there. Mike Smith maybe is not someone you could rely on. Probably not. And Demang, probably not much better. But nice to see him having a couple good games because he's had a rough year as a backup. Yeah, he sure has. I would not be interested in him for a spot start on a tanking Arizona team. You've got a subpar goalie on a team that's probably barely trying to win these days. So, yeah, stay far away from him. Going back to the question, Elon, well, we haven't talked about Falk yet, so I don't know if you're going to ask me that. Should I just compare Ekman Larson and Giordano? Yeah, that's what I said. I said, give me your ranking now of Giordano and Ekman Larson, and then we'll throw Falk in after. Okay, okay. So I will take, you know, I still don't actually know. I guess I'll go <laughs> Ekman Larson because top power play is great for him, and Giordano isn't getting any more shots. I guess the difference to me would be if your league counts plus, minus, and blocks, then it would be hard not to choose Giordano. Instead, but if it doesn't count either of those, or if it only counts blocks and you can spare them, then go ahead and stick with Ekman Larson. Okay, and so now let's finally talk about Justin Falk, another guy who's been slumping. He's been like a huge bust this year, right? He has 25 points in 54 games for a 38-point pace. Everyone who drafted him was hoping for a lot more, probably closer to like a 45, 50-point pace. He has 158 shots on the year, which is nice. It's like three shots a game, but he's pointless in eight games now. I think Carolina's playing today. We could check in really quickly. They're playing against Arizona, actually. So we can compare both Ekman Larson and Justin Falk just for today against each other. One period down at zero. 0-0. Zero, zero. Falk, obviously no points. He has a shot. I don't know why I'm even looking at this. Ekman Larson, he has one shot as well. Um, but yeah, Falk, like aside from shots, is there any reason to hang on to him? Like, do you expect him to bounce back? Like Carolina has that great playoff schedule. That's what someone asked about on Facebook. They're saying the playoff schedule looks so good, but he's been doing nothing. So do you hang on to him for the schedule or do you drop him for someone that's been actually producing? And then maybe, yeah, let's give our then ranking 
of Oliver Ekman Larson and Justin Falk since you had Ekman Larson over Giordano, except for that case where your league counts blocks and plus minus. It's complicated. Fantasy hockey is complicated. Yeah, what a complicated thing. Good thing there are like podcasts out there to help hopefully offer some sort of insight and untangle everything. So Justin Falk, first off, by the way, I, I don't know if you saw my notes for the show already, Elon. Do you know how old Justin Falk is? Um, like, I assume he's young. Like, I've always thought of him as a young guy. I'm going to guess like 24 or 23 at this point, maybe 25. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. 24 turns 25 in two weeks. So happy early birthday to Justin Falk. Still younger than I realized, though. Like, I thought he was probably, I don't know. Like, I guess I just forgot completely how old he was. So he's still young. He has a lot of years ahead of him. As you mentioned, Elon, his shots are still coming this year, and that's nice. But his on-ice shooting percentage has dipped below 6% which is bad. And if you try and figure out why his on-ice shooting percentage has dipped, well, first off, he plays for Carolina. As we've talked about, that's a tough place for him to be able to put up a lot of points, but he's done it in the past. You look at the heat map showing on-ice shot locations. I look at these, by the way, over at hockeyvizviz.com. You look at the on-ice shot locations from the last few years, and the heat map has gradually cooled while he's on the ice, where he and his teammates used to shoot more than the rest of the league from most areas on the ice, their shots now are looking more limited to the far point on either side, with some shots also coming from the low slot and along the boards below the face-off circle. So I guess like it's hard to really describe that visual on the show to really get it. The, the idea is that like think of a heat map where a lot of shots are coming from good spaces. Think of the red areas turning blue and what red remains are just like small dots in not the greatest places on the ice. And it shows up in his numbers too. You can see there's fewer on-ice shot attempts, both at even strength and on the power play. And his plus minus can also kill you. Uh, I don't know what to say, to be honest, about Justin Falk. It's almost the same situation as Ekman Larson. I'm still a believer in him, but I think the system in Carolina that favored Falk's offensive play has been slowly phased out. I'm going to stand firm in thinking he's a 40 to 45 point guy. His advantage on Ekman Larson, though, is that he still takes a ton of shots but I do think his upside is also more limited. Sad, man. I have both Falk and Oliver Ekman Larson in the league against each other. I was assuming they'd be both sure shot keepers along with John Carlson. I have a lot of guys who like I was planning on them to be keepers and I don't know what I'm going to do. But anyways, I'll bug you about it in the summer. I guess I can't because I'm against you. Who am I going to bug? I guess lost the patrons. <laughs> you can still ask me. I will give you honest advice because I'm a stand up guy. If I had to choose, by the way, between Falk, Giordano and Ekman Larson... I don't know why I went back into this because I still like, it's a really hard <laughs> choice. Giordano would be last. I think, well, I would want Falk right now because he gets me the extra shots. But if I'm looking to next year, I might still favor Ekman Larson and think whatever has changed in Arizona that makes him able to do less or makes him do less than he's done in the past. Hopefully that just switches back and he can get back to himself. Someone was saying in the chat, that he's going to go late last year and he's going to be a great snag as everybody, you know, forgets about him and thinks he's done with. But it's not that he's underperforming. Like, it's not like he has unfavorable shooting percentages or IPP or whatever things that mark unsustainable, tough times. It's just that he's doing less with the time he's given. And that is concerning for such a young player on a team where I don't feel like anything should have changed. They have the same coach. They have a lot of the same players. So it's something that, well, next year, and I guess we'll definitely be talking about it over the summer, we'll really be interested to see what happens. Yeah, like how much longer is this Arizona rebuild going to go? When are they going to start actually contending? Like, it'll be nice to see over the summer if they could like make some trades to improve the team now. That would make me more excited about Oliver Ekman-Larsen and then I guess Justin Falk 
Like, I don't know. It's tough. Uh, Slavin and Pesci always kind of scare me as guys who might end up taking over Falk's role. They sometimes play more minutes than him. Then there's Noah Hannafin. Like, I wonder if Justin Falk doesn't start scoring a lot soon. Maybe he loses his top power play spot and loses some ice time. So, I don't know. Hopefully he could do something. I'd probably want Falk the most of the three for this year just because of that playoff schedule. But all of them are definitely concerning. Giordano, it's funny that we have him last. He's the one that's actually on a roll right now. But be it as it will. Okay, let's. we've got a couple more cold streaks before we end the show. I've got to go to Colorado. We've mentioned them all show long about how bad they are. And all the people who held on to Matt Duchesne and Gabriel Landeskog. Oh, I have another excuse for why I lost like a couple. This is my fault. I held on to Matt Duchesne way too long just thinking, oh, because it would be so bad if I dropped him. And then he got traded to some team and was on the top line with like Gaudreau and Monaghan or whatever. So I held on to him. He did nothing for me all throughout the playoffs just as he's done ever since I acquired him. Yeah, that's not an excuse. That's a reason. Okay, yeah, that's a reason. Yeah, so Duchesne and Landeskog, they stay on Colorado, so we can expect them probably to just keep continuing their not great season. Like, can people let go of them in one-year leagues if they still have them? Like, do they even have keeper value? I guess they could both be traded in the summer, so if you're in a keeper league, you probably don't have to decide until next year at the start of the year if you're going to keep them or not, and by then you can find out what their situation will be and how things will be looking in Colorado if they stay. So let's just look at them individually. Landeskog had a goal yesterday. He had a big two-goal and one-assist game versus Buffalo last week, but aside from that, it's been all zeros in seven of his last nine games played and then Matt Duchesne pointless in six with only 11 shots in that span he killed me in the couple like from this two-week matchup that's ending today he's done literally nothing so I guess my question to you Brian is for both Duchesne and Landis Gog in a one-year league at least can people let go of them and find brighter objects in free agency than these two guys who should be really valuable but are not really producing there are probably shinier objects in free agency Landis Gog is this weird case now, there was a good article uh, recently over at tsn.ca by Travis Yost. He's regressed since his rookie year. Like, he's looking like a guy who's 28 years old, who peaked when he was 26, and has just been, like, steadily going down, 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 even though he's, like, closer to the st- – well, he's at the start of the aging curve, pretty much. And then you have Duchesne, who just, like, so many years of Colorado talking about shipping him out and having no system and having him – out of favor with the coaches. I hope, I don't know. I don't know what hope there is in Colorado. And McKinnon also has like started regressing a little bit from his best years. So I don't know what's happening in Colorado and I don't know how it's going to be fixed. I feel like they need to clean house again. I know they just brought in this new coach and it would be unfair because he just came in late in the summer and he didn't have a lot of time to really get set up and figure out a system. But now he's had 60 games to try and work something out and the abs are looking no better than they have at all over the last three years. And as long as that keeps being a mess, I'm sad to say I can't expect much from these names, McKinnon, Lenskog, Duchesne, guys who had such great fantasy value. I feel like we're being robbed of some of the best years of their hockey. Imagine how they feel. Yeah, and you could throw Tyson Berry into that group. It is kind of sad. Maybe we should be giving these guys some of the blame for Colorado being so bad, but probably not. Colorado Avalanche, who knew? They, they look good on paper. They have like a lot of good players, but I guess their depth is what's hurting them. Uh, one more cold streak to end the show. Let's go to the Rangers. Brian, you recently dropped Mika Zibanejad in the league we were against each other in, so I suppose that means you were ready to call him a snoozer, right? He has just three points in his last nine games. He played with Rick Nash and Pavel Buchnevich in the last game, who was recently called back up after being sent to the minors because he was doing nothing. 
Like Zibanejad was so awesome before he got injured, but I guess maybe he was just benefiting from all the high shooting percentages on the Rangers. Like I'm curious to know, you dropped him. Does that mean other people who have him should drop him as well? Or do you think there's any chance he could bounce back? Maybe you just dropped him because you have such a star-studded team. You just didn't have room for him. Well, that was part of it. My team is just so good. I don't have room to wait on a guy like Mika Zibanejad. Another reason, though, why, like, it's not just high shooting percentages. Like, yeah, he was taking advantage of those, but he was also taking a ton of shots. Like, he was having a lot of three or more shot games in the first 10 games of the year. He had eight of them where he had three, four, or five shots on goal. And since then, he's had very few. And if you look more recently, over his last 19 games, he has just a goal, six assists for seven points. But that's not the biggest cause for concern. The biggest cause for concern is just 25 shots. He's barely taking more than a shot per game. That's not what I want to see from someone in my line, but especially when they've gone cold. Elon, you scooped him up, so I guess you're hoping that he starts throwing a lot of shots on goal again and starts racking up points because of it, but his time on my roster had come to an end. Yeah, I scooped him up and put him right into my IR because I saw that he was day-to-day, so that's the only reason I added him because I thought I could just take him for free, and I had someone else that had gotten injured, so I was able to pick him up without dropping anyone. But we'll see. I'm not too, too excited about him, though it would be great if the Rangers could get back to that amazing run they had at the beginning of the year where everyone on the team, they were like, Minnesota, everyone was scoring. Okay, I guess that takes us to the end of the show. We could give a quick update on some of the players we've talked about that are playing today. Oliver Ekman Larson has an assist so far today, so that's good for him. Colton Pareko has actually a power play assist on the second power play on a goal from Patrick Berglund. So keep an eye on these guys we talk about. The situations are always changing. But also, one thing I'd like to mention, someone asked me a question on Facebook, and I answered, and they were like, even though the guy has three points today or something, like there was someone who I was suggesting to drop, and then he had gotten some points. Try to not make decisions in fantasy based on one single game, unless that one single game is an indicator that the player's like now on the top line. You know, but if the player's like, in the same situation as they've been all season long and they happen to have one good game, you know, be careful. But that said, it's always fun to watch the box scores and start updating all of our thoughts. And I don't know why I just went on this little Elon's thoughts to end the show. So why don't we just call here? Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to everyone in the chat room. This has been hilarious. I haven't even mentioned, I haven't had a chance. Like they're having a whole conversation of all the ways that Malkin is probably injuring himself right now because Brian jinxed him. Hopefully none of those things came true. But yeah, this has been a lot of fun. If you enjoyed the show, listening to it live or, or after the fact, you know, tweet at us, let us know at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, if you like the show, why not head on over to iTunes, give us that coveted five-star review, which we always appreciate. And if you listen on Google Play and if they have a rating system, I keep on forgetting to check into that. But if you could give us the top rating there, that would be great. If you really want to help support the show, it's not too late. And by the way, if you sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson, you don't have to like sign your life away. You know, you sign up, try it out for a month, join our patron-only Facebook group, download our old patron cast come to a patron cast they're a lot of fun try it out see if you like it until the end of the year there's only a couple months left anyways for five dollars a month you support the show and get all of those great perks so you could check out more information at keepingcarlson.com slash patron by the way brian i can't believe that we were talking about justin falk on carolina and we didn't even mention your favorite goalie eddie lack is playing and so far he's led in one goal after half the game so not so bad good for eddie lack but okay with that let's cue the outro music And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dabra Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. 
great job as always brian what a fun show i'm sorry i made fun of your voice before that i don't really think your voice sounds like that i was just trying to be funny i don't know what i'm doing here i'm just rambling into a microphone for a couple of hours and hoping people will like it anyway great job looking forward to doing this all again next week sunday 8 p.m keeping carlson.com slash live if you want to join us and until next time keep on keeping carlson <laughs> nice <laughs>